on this episode. Look at the trajectory, though. I mean, so artists started coming to this valley, other than the indigenous people who made their own art, but settler art, <laughs> white people art, invader art, <laughs> invader art, really kind of came in the, in the, in the mid-1800s, and this trajectory of artists that have been coming to the desert ever since, the reason for it has not changed. It's the light. Recorded live in the corner booth at the center of the Coachella Valley universe, this is Big Conversations, Little Bar. Now, your hosts, Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversations, Little Bar. We are taped live in front of us a bar audience at Little Bar, Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California, the center of all culture in the Coachella Valley. And I'm here, my name is Patrick Evans, and I'm here with my stalwart and trusty co-host, Randy Florence. Thank you. We're going to spend the next 20 minutes (laughs) proving why this is not the center of the culture, but it is the center of the Coachella Valley universe. Culture. Culture. What's our culture? You can order yogurt here. It's, it's a lot of culture in this place. I, uh, never mind. On. I take it all back then. Come on, Randy. Randy, uh, most recently, he's currently unemployed, but most recently you were the head of the Palm Desert Chamber of Commerce. And prior to that, you were a mortgage banker. I have little memory prior to the Palm Desert <laughs> Chamber of Commerce. That year took it all out of me. You were one of uh, California's most preeminent mortgage bankers, is what I've been told. By you, actually. That's what I've told. We're also here with John McMullen, who's our producer and runs the board. But more importantly, today, we are very lucky to have with us from Palm Springs Life and the associated publications thereof, Stephen Miller. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Oh, how, how about that? I haven't seen you guys in so long. You guys are sitting here with drinks and food, and you call this work? No. Uh, no, we don't. Uh, this is definitely a hobby based on how much it pays. Uh, work comes with a paycheck. Yeah. Well, yeah. I got to walk away from work to join you guys, so thanks for having me. This is awesome. You may not be wanting to go back to work after you <laughs> I probably won't be able to. Or he may I be might not even be. W- might not even be welcome back there after <laughs> what things I might say here. Well, uh, we're delighted to have you because, obviously, uh, when we talk about culture of the Coachella Valley, no one chronicles or documents that better than Palm Springs life and you guys have been doing that for a very long time with you at the helm uh you had a hiatus but you started at the magazine in 2002 which is coincidentally the same year that i arrived here with cbs local 2 and we had a similar experience with jackie lee houston yes we did (laughs) so i i remember the first week being at the magazine and uh, my phone rings, and I'm like, no, who the hell knows that I'm here, you know? And <laughs> Well, Jackie Lee Houston did, and at the time, you know, she was uh, the most prominent philanthropist in, a, in the Coachella Valley, and I picked up the phone, and, and she just graciously introduced herself, invited me to a fundraiser, a Pets on Parade fundraiser for um, Animal Samaritans, I believe, and... Um, and we became fast friends because I'm a dog lover. And I met you. I met, uh, I met Jim Houston. And, uh, you know, but she told me on the phone that very first day, she says, um, I'm going to introduce you to everybody that you need to know in this desert. And over the next several years, she did exactly that. She was an incredibly generous person, uh, not just to... F- to, to the charities that she gave to but just as a human being when you talk to this woman she was just so giving in, in her knowledge and just all around what a great person well, I miss her one of the great when I look back and I've been here for 21 years now working for Jackie Lee and Jim Houston was the best introduction one could have had to the Coachella Valley and like so many events that you attended you know Jackie Lee would buy a table or three and then she would come to the newsroom and just hand out invitations say uh you know we have a black tie gala uh we bought these tables we'd like you to to come join us and she just wanted to 
fill the tables with the, the CBS2 folks, which was great because I ended up getting to know so many people in the philanthropic community. Right, right. Did and she, that's so did she kind here. of make it a little bit of a family type of atmosphere there? Was that important to her? No, she said, show up and try not to <laughs> embarrass like, me. Playing like no. playing for the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. show up no, no she, was, she was delightful about it. She and Jim both, um, it, you know, they were obviously incredibly philanthropic. It, it, it did extremely well, had a lot of wealth, but they were very down to earth. Uh, I mean, they had the trappings, uh, but they were also still, you know, at their core, just kind of real people who. Jim Houston told me once uh, we had a meeting, a station-wide meeting at the TV station. He said, "Well, Jackie Lee really wanted a TV station, and I really wanted a yacht, and Jackie Lee won." <laughs> I knew one day he would sell it, and I said, when you sell the TV station and buy the yacht, I'd still like to work for you. I want to be on the yacht. (laughs) Isn't that such a a Coachella Valley story, though? People who just want to be a part of the community, irrespective of wealth. They want to do something for the community, and they want to bring people together to do things together. I I think that's a very distinctive quality about this place in general. I think... um, uh, there are so many nonprofits, but so much of our social life is tied to the nonprofit events out here. Uh, That's and, a great point. And it, it's just so much of what we do, the money that we're spending to do it is going to heal people and enrich lives with culture and all these different things. So it's, uh, I think we're, in a, we're very lucky to be in a place like this. You know, I want to tell you, it, it, we're kind of moving ahead. I want to get back to the past and the history, but... Um, I credit Palm Springs life with one of the things that convinced my wife to want to stay here in the desert. And I mean that seriously. First couple of years, we had a foot in and a foot out. The subscription that I bought to Palm Springs life told her things about this valley that she wanted to spend time checking out and finding out and getting tied into. Honestly, that magazine is one of the reasons that we're still here after 12 years. Well, um, thank you for that. I appreciate it. We try really hard to put compelling content in there, but you as know, as long as you make my wife happy. <laughs> but you know, I fell in love with this place. I mean, I didn't plan on being here for more than a couple of years. This was supposed to be a pass through on the way back to the East Coast, you know. And, uh, and, and you grew up on the East Coast. I grew up on the East Coast, and I. I, I Went to Florida Atlantic University, go Owls. We made it to the Final Four. I was actually the editor, I was the sports editor of the Florida Atlantic University newspaper uh, when the basketball team was starting. In his very first season, I was the sports editor. How lucky wow. could you possibly wow. be as a, journal- <laughs> as a journalism student to walk into that? And I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I'm not sure I do now, but... Um, but man, it was a lot of fun. Um, big sports fan. Big sports fan. And you know, a, a couple years after I graduated college, the Miami Heat started up. <laughs> you know, it, it was an incredible time. You know, for basketball in, 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 in South Florida at the time. It was. While you, you were know. sports editor, what was was the biggest story? The uh, inception of the basketball team, or was there anything else that you? There was nothing else. So <laughs> we had soccer, and I'm a soccer guy, but you know, it wasn't really a great team, and. Uh, basketball became immediately the biggest sport. We were known for our baseball team. We had a very good baseball team. Uh, but basketball was, was transformational. And then long after I graduated, we got a football team. So now there's a big stadium, and I don't even recognize the campus when I go back there now. But, uh, but you know, I, I kind of lucked into that, and it, it just led. You know, everything that's happened to me in my career was because of that moment. It's, it's kind of incredible Isn't to think back Isn't it crazy to go it. back yeah. and look at that specific yeah. time? Where were you born? I was born in New York, you know, and, uh, you know, like, like all good Jews, moved to Florida. Um, <laughs> you uh, moved a little bit younger. earlier. <laughs> Usually a lot, of, a lot of people wait until retirement. You yeah, decided you just, wanted to check it out. <laughs> you know, I went to Florida, and then I, uh, you know, then I, I, I came to Palm Springs because, you know, I was in Palm Springs. I was the editor of Palm Springs Life at 33 years old. I mean, wow. uh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, um... Talk a little bit about the importance of Palm Springs life to this community, because in, in magazine, uh, like newspaper, has had its struggles, but Palm Springs life endures, and you guys really are, you continue to be kind of on the cutting edge of what's going on in the Valley, and I think that 
you know, that's a testament to your leadership and, and being able to sell, stay relevant when a lot of magazines haven't been able to do that. Well, it's, uh, it's a good team. Uh, our owner, President Frank Jones, is, is a visionary guy. He's not afraid of change. He likes change, um, even when others around him don't. You know, I think that uh, he's got a vision, and, uh, and I give him a lot of credit. You know, when I left the magazine in 2013 to start my own company, um, uh, part of it was because his dad <laughs> was dying, and... Um, I didn't want to be around without him, uh, and I didn't know what Frank was going to do. Uh, nobody really did, and I thought, you know, maybe this is my time. You know, maybe this is the time to make a change, and uh, and I, I did, and I was very successful at it. And I still have my my business that goes on the side. It's and, uh, and what is that business? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I, I do a lot of consulting work in in arts and culture. Yes, going right back to your point, you know, of uh, being involved in the arts and culture sector. And we've got a big economic impact study coming out on October 12th um, that's going to blow people's minds on the impact that the arts make in this valley and beyond. It's a national survey that we were part of. um, And our region banded together Coachella Valley, Inland Inland Empire, San Bernardino, Riverside, banded together to be a part of this important economic impact study on the arts, and we got very specific data to where we are, and it's staggering. It's just going to blow people's minds. Uh, You know, art is not just a a frill, you know, going out to, you know, see music or theater or going to a museum or a gallery. uh, It's not just a frill. I mean, the arts... Are, are creating tons of jobs, you know, attracting tons of money, stimulating so much cultural tourism. It, it's, and and when, when people see the numbers, they can put the numbers to these ideas, it's going to be transformational. It's huge in terms of quality of life. When you, when you look at where, where people want to live, where people choose to live, yeah. access to the arts. And that's, I think, one of the great things about the Coachella Valley. We have access to big city you know entertainment in a small town atmosphere it makes it a truly unique place to live yeah i i think that's one way where that, that's one place the magazine comes in is we're able to kind of bring it all together and show it to you all in one fell swoop you know and it's 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 mind-boggling what we have here such a small place um uh, we have so much culture the indigenous culture the mexican culture you know, everybody here is from a different place, and they bring their culture here, and it's 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 really a, a vibrant place when you think about all the different fashion, the different music, the food. It's all part of the culture, and it's all coming from everywhere. You know, one of our um, I'm fascinated to hear this report and what the economic impact is. One of our I think it was Jeff Norman from uh, McCallum right. talked about how we need to work harder to drive uh, art down to the youth, down to the the, uh, younger people here in this valley now. Maybe if we talk about what economic impact comes from that, we can start pushing that generationally, making the valley understand how important it is. Well, the education system likes the term STEM. You You know, they like that. I like STEAM where you put in the A for the arts, because that's where all, all your creative uh, problem solving comes in. You know, you give people the creative space, not just to make pictures and, you know, sculpture, take pictures, or whatever, but to really solve problems in a creative way. Uh, a friend of mine is an artist in residence at Joshua Tree National Park, and people think, well, she's just making art up there, but she's not. She's actually looking at their office space and imagining how they re- can reconfigure themselves to be more efficient so that they can communicate better with each other. So it, it, it's, it's incredible what happens when you drop an artist into a professional working environment. NASA has done this. They do it on a regular basis. And the stories that come out of that program are, are, are really impressive. Think, it's just stuff that you would never think of as possible. Um, and we, we're seeing it right here in the Coachella Valley. Do you think Desert X has helped with that, uh, just in terms of the attention that it's brought? What I love about Desert X is that 
everybody can access it. You know, uh, I'll never forget the first year. Now I was on the board of Desert X, and I was, founder, of the, right? I, was, I was one of the founders. Um, and for those who don't know, Desert X is an exhibition of site-specific art that happens every other year across the Coachella Valley. Artists from all over the world come and they do an immersion here in the Coachella Valley. They learn about our, our, our ecology, our history, uh, our populations, and uh, our seismic activity. You name it, they're learning about it. And they respond to the curator of Desert X with proposals uh, to address issues that they uh, find important and relevant to this place. Um, so one of the pieces that was in the first year um, happened to be by a, um, uh, a local artist, Philip K. Smith, did the Circle of um, Land and Sky. And, um, and I remember walking on the boardwalk that he built in this massive open raw desert space uh, and he built a boardwalk leading out to his art installation because he wanted you to feel the difference of walking on this created plank and then that that moment that when you step off and you're suddenly in the desert you know Um, but walking out to that plank uh, I'm sorry walking out to his piece on, on, on this boardwalk that he created you meet people from all all walks. You just and and, and I, I, I saw somebody uh, walking. Uh, he was wearing an I think he was it was an air conditioning um, like a, a, a worker shirt. You know, it was just a, a you know a worker shirt. And and he looked like he was working. <laughs> <But> <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I just you know said, hey, you know, what's going on? What and and, and he said he just saw, he saw the traffic on the side of the road. He saw all these cars parked at the side of the road, and he just decided to just go out and check it out. What is this? And uh, and and so here's a guy who told me he he never you know thought about art, never went to a museum or an art gallery. You know he. He just never thinks about art. And I said, well, this is an art exhibition. He says, this is art? And, and, and so we had this conversation, and, and by the time he was done and had this incredible experience with Philip's piece, he was talking about bringing his friends from work wow. and going back and getting his family and his kids and you know, coming back and having this experience because it was, it was an incredible experience for him. And that's what art does. When did you realize it was important to you? Uh, that's a hard question. I... I it's a really hard question. I came up from a musical family, so I was more on the music side of things. My visual art appreciation didn't really happen until after college. And um, when, I, when I was working for the Sun Sentinel, a big newspaper in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, I lived less than a mile from uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, Museum of Art. So I think that's kind of where the seed was dropped. What, uh, were you a, was it a creative family? Uh, no. No? No. No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, my, my, my brother and I are musicians, and um, I think my, my, my parents don't know where the hell we came from. <laughs> That's true. So many people. Uh, talk a little bit. You know, originally this podcast was going to be more music-centric. It, it isn't. Yeah. But which is fine. <laughs> uh, but talk a little bit about the, the, coming from the musical side of it, uh, and and the music that you play, and the music that you like. Oh wow, uh, I'm kind of all over the place. You know, I'm a mess. But uh, there was a time I could play a lot of string instruments. Um, now I can play a guitar and a bass. <laughs> you kind of lose it if you don't use it. Um, but I kind of came up playing classical guitar. Um, and then moved into jazz guitar, and then realized I wasn't really very good because jazz is all about improvisation. And I could be a good guitar player if I've got music in front of me, but you ask me to just improvise, I, I was never able to do what, that. Wasn't so your thing? Just couldn't do it. Couldn't switch keys on time. Yeah, I was a mess. <laughs> so, um, but I really enjoyed it, and. Um, uh, you know, so my playing was mostly classical. What do you like to listen to? Oh my gosh! Well, I'm, lately it's been a lot of Talking Heads because of this—the re-release of this movie. 
Uh, um, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm getting my wide shoulder I'm a, coat out right now. <laughs> I'm a big Talking Heads fan. I've always loved them. Uh, I kind of, you know, I graduated high school at a time when uh, it was all the kind of this first wave music in the late 80s so it was psychedelic furs and who i just saw at pappy and harriet's a couple of months ago oh wow yeah very cool <laughs> that was really awesome and they still sound probably better they still they sound better now than they did back then t- i don't know how that happens <laughs> but yeah a lot of a lot of that first wave music yeah. i liked so yeah, I, I came up with the ramones i love the ramones love and, the then, Ramo- yeah. and then it went into rem and it's just kind of went from there well, my wife is a huge 80s music aficionado yeah. and so when we do deep dives with her it's always you know those those groups back in Duran Duran and <laughs> you know we had a if you remember back in 90 91, 90 or 91, we had a, uh, a George Bush's recession. Uh, uh, H, uh, H. 91, w. 92, Bush. I remember that one. Big. Uh, I think oh. it was 91, actually. Yeah. H.W., the, the dad. The dad. Um, and I, I was jettisoned from the newspaper. There was no more, <laughs> as a lot of people were back in, that, in, in those days. And um, I ended up in Athens, Georgia. Doing, I was a crime reporter there for a short period until I went back to Florida. Um, and I went to Athens, Georgia, which is REM is from there. Love Tractor, B-52s, Indigo Girls. What a place, you know? Yeah, huge music scene huge in the music 80s. Huge music scene. So, um, and in Pylon. And so um, so I, I, went to, um, I went to work at the Athens Banner Herald, it was called. I think it's still publishing. <laughs> um, on the advice of a friend, he said, oh, if you need because I was out of a job. He says, well, I can get you a job with one phone call. I'm like, well, okay, well, make the phone call. Yeah. <laughs> I need the gig. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day, I was on my way to Georgia, uh, and uh, I think at City Hall they still had a cannon pointed to the north. By the way, not un- not unsurprising. They're very I, proud of it. I, yeah, I grew up in Virginia, which you know w- was at one point the capital of the Confederacy. So I, <laughs> I do understand. You things. should probably take that off your license plate. Well, I just thought I'd mention that. Really? <laughs> but I was told when I get to Athens, go to the grill. And you're going to meet everybody. It's kind of like a Jackie Lee Houston story. And I did. I walked in it the very first time. I walked in there. I was I was sitting with the managing editor of the newspaper. Michael Stipe was at one table, and the president of the University of Georgia was at another wow. table. And I met them both that day. <laughs> Michael Stipe. Who do you think, of, between the president of the college and Michael Stipe, who do you think smelled worse? Well, I had to be the college. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Wow. <laughs> and it wasn't because of what the man was eating. Go dogs. Go dogs. Oh. Let's go back a little bit. Um, you had an experience in 1990. You got to cover the U.S. World Cup team? Yeah, leading up, actually, I started in um, 98. Uh, Soccer America magazine had reached out to me, which was incredible because I had been subscribing to Soccer America since I was 10 years old. Because <laughs> That's my religion is that game is... Kid you not, that is my religion. Um, and uh, and suddenly they were calling me to go, <laughs> go cover the World Cup team. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? They were just looking Can for I subscribers. You could say that. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I just couldn't believe it, you know. And and you know, at the t- I mean, I was 19 years old. I was home for the summer from college. I was at my parents' house. I get this phone call, and I was incredulous. I'm like, well, yeah, of course I can do this. <laughs> You bet. Let me check my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I had been working at the Sun Sentinel as a stringer in the sports section while I was going to college. And so I got to meet a whole bunch of the reporters, you know, from all you know, the, the, Sun, uh, the Sun Sentinel, the Miami Herald, the Palm Beach Post, Boca Raton News, which was another Night Reader paper that went under. Um, and... Uh, I was meeting all of these, all of these reporters at everything I was covering, and eventually one of the guys said, "Hey, you should come be a stringer, you know, in our in the sports department." And uh, I said, "What's a stringer?" <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up uh, working for the newspaper and uh, got to do a lot of soccer because nobody else wanted to do it, right? Nobody else cared about soccer, and um, and that made my stories move over to AP Newswire. Wow. 
and and that's how and then Soccer America found me. Yeah, it was funny how those things. There was no internet back then. This is 1989. Uh, right? They're just yeah. pulling stuff off the wires. Off the AP, and, and, and right? they see yeah. your byline and and so there's a you know they need somebody in Miami, so they just pick up the phone, call the newspaper, and there I am. You know, and it's uh, an incredible, incredible thing. So yeah, I got to cover. You know, the United States hadn't been in a World Cup in 40 years at that point. 40 years, and. Um, and we made it uh, to, um, uh, to we, we beat Trinidad and Tobago in 1989. Oh, that was a big game. On I a, remember that on one. On a goal well. by Paul Caligiuri, who's a UCLA grad, by the way, and uh, sent the United States to the World Cup in Italy. And we did terribly. We lost <laughs> all three games in a group round, didn't advance, and everybody went home a little early. Just happy to be there. Just happy <laughs> to be there. And... and you know, one of those guys that was on that team, the forward, was Peter Vermees, and he's now one of the most successful coaches in Major League Soccer with Kansas City. Yeah. Tell yeah. us the, the most interesting crime stories that you covered. <laughs> I know you had some involvement covering some DEA stuff. I did a, yeah, I had a drug sting, and yeah, and I, you know, the, the funny thing is, you know, it was college. I was in college when all of this stuff was going on. I was high. I mean, I was high. The hell was, I mean, <laughs> I'm writing they, about the people I was buying from. What the hell are they from? doing <laughs> sending me on a drug sting? So, um, seems poorly thought out at best. <laughs> well, it might have been tough to find somebody in Florida who wasn't. That's so. true, and it was the 80s. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but... A different uh, time. I, I, I actually did a lot of drug busts. We had a lot. I ha I, it was mostly... Uh, a lot of car accidents, drug busts, small plane crashes... Um, but yeah, the drug bust was a fun one because it was DEA, and it's usually just sheriff's office or local, you know, local police department. But this was DEA, and so and they knew what they had. They knew what they were. It was all set up, so they called the press and invited us to come along to, you know, cover their glory. Yeah, you yeah, know how yeah, that works. Yes. Right? They, they the, so, when they got a big one, they love yeah, to. Yeah, they like to let us know. So I went out, and, and sure enough, a boat was coming in off the shore, and it was filled with mar marijuana, cocaine. It was, it was a party boat. Uh, <laughs> but the occupants had already jumped ship. Uh, so it was kind of a, a story gone gone wrong. We got They got the drugs, but not the... Not the not the bad guys. Not the perpetrators. <laughs> Hopefully they were able to stop the ship. Uh, it was a small boat. Okay. Uh, with those just loaded. But, you know, just fun, fun pictures. <laughs> what an interesting uh, background to lead you to come in and take over Palm Springs Life, which is obvious. You don't do a lot of crime coverage in Palm Springs Life. <laughs> no, my training ground for Palm Springs Life was probably uh, Palm Beach, Palm Beach Illustrated Magazine. I was a senior editor there, and a company is very much like, like this one, where we have a beautiful luxury magazine for the, for the region and a really good guide for all of our visitors and our locals, and then a, a lot of local um, custom publications as well. So the formula was really familiar to me when I came here, and I had studied the company uh, pretty pretty hard before I got here, and uh, so I was able to hit the ground running. The calendar that you guys publish at the onset of the season is sort of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people rely on that. There's actually two calendars. So there's the one that comes out in our September issue, which is our annual edition, which is out right now. Um, and then there's the one that we do in November, which is all the charitable events. Yes. <clears throat> so be looking for both because like I said before so many of the best things we do out here are for charity absolutely yeah. and uh, you know again your introduction to the value through Jackie Lee Houston uh, it, it you know those worlds cross over they're the best events but they're all tied to these philanthropic organizations right, right and think about the people you and I know in this valley now and it's largely because of the introduction she made early on there's no question I mean I've, I've emceed hundreds of events yeah and most of them are for organizations that Jackie Lee Houston introduced me to at one at one time or another. Right, that's quite a yeah. legacy. That's pretty yeah. cool. No, she yeah. was a really uh, instrumental. She and Jim, well, Jim was much quieter than Jackie Lee, and you know they had a shtick. And Jackie Lee would get up and say, "Jim makes the money, and I give it away." <laughs> uh, 
And you told me a funny story. Jim wanted to always wanted to arm wrestle you. He did. He was a football player yeah. in college. He was a quarterback. Uh, they, uh, was, they had a classic romance story. She was a cheerleader. He was a right. quarterback. That's really. right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, University of uh, Washington. They were sweethearts. Huskies. And, uh, yeah, but he always wanted to, to arm wrestle me. That's hilarious. He never asked me to arm wrestle. I don't know. Maybe I look more vulnerable. <laughs> I think maybe you look more formidable. I think Sam's not going to waste his time with me with this weatherman. Uh, hey, let's go back to when you came out to uh, Southern California, OCLA. You were working on a, a project um, publication. Was that dog oh, fancy? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there was a strange sequence of events that led to that. Um, I had been, you know, I left newspapers. I took a, a, a job with a really, really good trade industry magazine for the textile industry. Stayed there for four years, won a whole bunch of awards, and got recruited to come launch this new magazine by some celebrity publisher that they wouldn't tell me who it was. So, and I didn't find out until I af after I started. And it turned out to be Rush Limbaugh's third wife, number three. She's the one that busted, and she got him busted on the drugs, by the way. Love. It's a special thing. It's a special thing. Broke, um, broke up his love affair with Oxycodone. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird but, threesome. But, um, so yeah, I met Rush. He uh, would you always... Did. Oh, many times. Yeah, he, he was, he, he would, on the air, he would say, oh, live from New York, from the Excellence in New York. And then two minutes later, he was in my office in Palm Beach. And, <laughs> and the first time he did that, I thought, neat trick. <laughs> you know, like, wow. He has transporter technology. <clears throat> so, now being a newspaper guy, that just launched me into an investigation. Where's he broadcasting from? And so I checked everywhere, everyone that had a dish... I checked with nobody was broadcasting him or would admit to it. Um, then I went, I, I drove past his mansion on, on the island, and um, sure enough, he has his own. That was the, what he called the Southern Headquarters. <laughs> well, I gave that to, well, nobody knew he was doing it until I let you, everybody. You broke the story. I did. Well, I gave, I was. I gave it to uh, one of the newspapers. I didn't give it to the Sun Sentinel because they would have known where that came from because that's where <laughs> I worked. So, um, so he called Mike Wallace. <laughs> so you know, I gave it to one of the other papers. And then as I learned more crazy stuff that was going on in that house, I kept giving that. You know, So first of all, because I, I let it go that he was broadcasting out of his bedroom, um, he had to get office space in, in Palm Beach, which is not cheap. So he didn't like that. But he, he opened an office. Um, then uh, I found out that he wasn't registered to vote in, Palm, in, in, uh, in the county because I wanted to see if he's registered to vote here. Uh, so when he wasn't, then I thought, okay, well, let me find out where he is registered. Well, he wasn't registered to vote anywhere. I checked, really? I checked New York. But he I voted often. I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I checked D.C. I checked Kansas City where he was, you know, where he started his career. Well, I he checked was in, he everywhere. He was in San Luis Obispo because he always picked on San Luis Obispo. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't. And so I gave that to the Palm Beach Post um, that he wasn't registered to vote. He's out there telling everybody else how to vote. Um, uh, what I mean, there, there were so many things. I had a field day with did, this guy. Did he realize that you were the thorn in his side at any point? No, his wife did figure it out, though. <laughs> yeah. she. I was already gone by the time she figured oh. it out. But. She finally um, connected the dots. So anyway, I, I, she, she was a piece of work. I'll just leave it at that. And I ended, I was, I, I ended up in the hospital with. Uh, inches of an ulcer because um, I, I, I hired like the best people money was no object so she just hired the best staff and I had the best production people the best design people writers I had writers from Esquire and GQ working for us and what was the magazine? it was called Vent <laughs> dead <laughs> silence um, and uh, it was it was just awful and when I saw <laughs> I, I, I never had my name in it I, I got out in the prototype stage uh, all the stories. She didn't really want anything original. She found all of her stories in publications like Men's Health and all, all the stories that she wanted, that she wished she had written herself. Wow. She put into a database, and then we, we became a magazine. She said, do these stories. <laughs> They're already done. They've been published. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not doing a story. That's so, plagiarism. How long did that last? Uh, three months for me. Wow. Yeah. And then where did you land? Uh, so I was rescued. Uh, 
<laughs> by Palm Beach Illustrated. And if that hadn't happened, I would have never been the editor here in Palm Springs. And that's why I put those dots together there, because that's really what introduced me to lifestyle, luxury lifestyle publishing. And, um, but I was, uh, I felt really fried in South Florida. I needed to get out of that market. Um, it just, I was uncomfortable after all of these experiences, you know. You can understand so, that. <laughs> you know, I had become the news when I left Marta Limbaugh's magazine. I was a front page business story, and I, I didn't want to be the story. I got out of town, you know. Um, when I was working for her, by the way, um, the Miami, uh, a, a radio broadcaster in Miami, one of the most popular broadcasters, uh, who knew that I was gay um, had um, thought it was really funny that I was working for Rush Limbaugh's wife. And he went on the air and just ripped me apart for an hour. I never heard it, but all my friends did. Because <laughs> wow. uh, there's no internet back then, and right. you know, I couldn't go back and listen to a stream or anything. But um, my friends started calling and you know there were no cell phones either so they were finding me at my office and um and telling me that you know neil rogers is in miami ripping you a new uh, one and, john uh, do you know neil rogers you, you can chime in here one of the great things about having i mean john mcmullen is because he's probably the most colorful gay person in miami broadcast history. Okay, so <laughs> he was gay and he was ripping you apart because you were working for the Limbaugh right. dynasty. Right. Yeah, okay. And, and Neil Rogers knew me. I mean, he, he, he knew who I was and you know, so he he had a field day with it. Oh, I, my my friends are all listening. Everybody listened to Neil Rogers. You know who he was and he's the most popular personality on the radio. Let me ask you this question. Uh, knowing what a inclusive and diverse community Palm Springs was. And you said you came here thought maybe a couple of years. But was that part of the attraction? I had no idea what Palm Springs was. Really? Had no idea. I, you know, to me, um, I was running a group of magazines out in L.A. and Orange County. Uh, pet magazines. Dog Fancy, Cat Fancy, a uh, whole bunch of... Um, uh, we had Dog World, which we acquired from Prime Media. I mean, it was a I mean, we, we literally, we had over a million readers a month. It was an incredible oh, audience. People were crazy about their pets. I and, mean, that, that, and, and it was an incredible ride for me. I got to do some really great things, and, and, and I really found my feet as, a, as an editor there. Got, got to uh, redesign a magazine, reformat it. Uh, we, it. It worked. We sold more advertising than we'd ever sold in the magazine's history. And, um, and publishing the biggest, thickest issues. When magazines were declining, we were growing in size and circulation. And it was really rewarding. I had a great, great run there. Um, had the, literally in the corner office, which had a, a shelf life of about a year and a half in that company. So when I got the corner office, I started planning on my escape <laughs> um, because I had seen what happened before me. So, um, so the recruiter that put me with Marta Limbaugh I called her and I said, you owe me one. Yes, <laughs> you got to fix this. And I this. said, I'm not in any rush. I love what I'm doing. I'm having a great time doing it, but I've got about 18 months. So, uh, and, um, and she's the one that told me about Palm Springs. And, uh, and I came out here. I interviewed on a Saturday morning with Milt Jones, uh, who's no longer with us. And, um, and Milt was such a visionary. He was. You know, when I went to the first city and regional magazine association annual convention they had named the lifetime achievement award after him that year and and and, and awarded it to him and named it after him that year and i just thought it was my very my very first day with the company by the way i hadn't even been to palm springs yet i was in <laughs> san diego at this conference watching him get this award and i was I, I just couldn't believe how, how revered he was throughout, not just here, but the whole industry around the country. And I learned that uh, he, uh, Palm Springs Life is the most copied um, and most mimicked city regional magazine in the country because of the way we do our supplements and slice and dice, all you know, the specialties, the home and design and weddings and art and culture and all the supplements that we produce. We were the first to do that. And now... Every magazine across the country is doing it, and he started that. 
Thanks. Well, I, I mean, I just uh, think it's fantastic that that continues. Uh, you know, Little Son has done such a great job continuing that legacy. Yeah, well, when he took over the magazine in 1958, he did it with a mission of promoting this place and, and celebrating this place. Uh, you never find bad news in our magazine. No. You know, that's not what we're about. It's every issue is a celebration of this place. The beauty, the people, the arts and culture, the food, the fashion, everything. Well, when, it's, when I got here, and it was really exciting, and of course, it helped being around Jackie Lee. I'd occasionally show up in, in, in some of the society coverage. I was like, oh, look. I'm in the magazine. Now, I've never been on the cover, and, and that's not a, I mean, it's not I a think big issue. I think there should be a podcast episode, uh, I mean, issue. There should be. There should be. You don't have to put both of us. Just <laughs> uh, We can mention Randy's name. I feel fine with that. <laughs> Patrick and his co-host. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, but as you say, you, you don't report bad news. But I will tell you a, a funny story. So years ago, I was... We weren't covering it. I was going to the uh, Chase Awards, and I was with the publisher of the newspaper at the time, Michelle Kranz. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, we went, there were several of us, a couple people from the newspaper, and William Shatner was getting an award for, for no good reason, but they, you know, they, just, <laughs> they invited Shatner, and he said yes. And... Had nothing else to do that night, you know. And we he was go sitting at the table next to him. So, hey, Phil, we go in, <laughs> and Michelle, who I, I adore, and she's since retired from Gannett, but yeah. uh, we went in and we were chatting with a lot of people who were. And Michelle said something really interesting to me. She said, "You were so at ease with all of these bigwigs in town," and, and she's like. I'm the publisher of the paper, and I don't, like, I'm not comfortable. And I'm like, you know, I've just been lucky because I got to be around them with Jackie Lee. Right, yeah. And But the one person that I was always in awe of was Milt. Yeah. I, I never I never felt really super comfortable around. And, I was, and for I was, good reason. You never know what he's going to say or do. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, but he was, like, honestly, in a valley that is filled with larger-than-life characters, he was kind of the, the, the ultimate version of that. You know, he would boss around Bob Hope. He would boss around. I mean, he was incredible. Milt was just an incredible personality. And... Um, you know, but I, I have a very similar experience to you. I mean, very few people, you know, rattle my cage. And, you know, we kind of met everybody. And, and it's it's the unexpected personality like that that will rattle your cage. You it, know? Was, it was always unnerving. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just always... And we didn't cross paths a lot. But on, on those rare occasions, I was just sort of like, I just need to go stand over there. <laughs> yeah. Milt was really, really good to me. I mean, I really miss that guy. What are the, uh, in the time the life, Palm Springs life has been around, we, we've gone through a pretty major change with digital. Oh, yeah. Watching the newspaper industry kind of slowly move aside. What are the biggest changes? Not so change? slowly. <laughs> I'm trying to be very careful to our local pub publication. <laughs> the one that comes out of Phoenix? The one that comes out of Phoenix. Yeah, we're not supposed to say that. We'll edit that in post. Uh, we'll just, no, I'm just going to apologize to Brian Blue Sky right now. We're not picking on you. We appreciate what you do. We I mean, love Brian. Brian is local, and there are a lot of very good local people who work for the paper. Brian is doing essential work. He He's is doing, doing arts and culture reporting, and I love him for it. And we need that. We absolutely <laughs> need it. And the way absolutely. he writes it, we need that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. He changed the way Coachella was covered. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, but, I agree. But what differences have you seen? Um, have, did you subscribers go away did people say i only want this digital or have you guys not been as seriously impacted because and i don't mean this in a put down in any way but you're a coffee table magazine you're the one that we want sitting on our coffee table when people come into the house you know the circulation doesn't really change dramatically from year to year um <clears throat> We, we lose about a third of our readers, we gain another third of new subscribers, and then we keep about a third of retention, you know? It's about how it works, roughly. Well, that's a good business model. That's really good. I think um, I, there are a lot of media companies that would love that model. Yeah. Well, you know, we are in a place where, 
you know, people still feel like the magazine is a special thing. Like they want it on their coffee table. They want to be in it. They want to be a part of it. Um, you know, we have events too, our fashion week, our food and wine events. and We adore you know. Susan Stein. Uh, I personally adore her. I do too. And uh, she's going to be a guest. She wants to be on the... I've asked her. And, and she's, she's making art now too. She's I know. She's yeah, an yeah, incredible yeah. artist. Cool. Yeah. I have had her on Eye on the Desert a couple of times. And she's so funny to me because her art is really good. She's very good. I mean, she's really talented. And I've had her on just to talk about the artwork. And she's like, "Don't aren't we, like, shouldn't we be talking? About, and I'm like, no, this is about the artwork. It's okay to, it's okay yeah. to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But, but Fashion Week has become, uh, you know, a It's, a, it's a signature event here, yeah. It, absolutely. It's a signature event. And she's the reason for it. You know, she really is the driving force. And part, you know, so you, and Randy was just asking about what's changed. And I think events are a big part of the change because event, it's like putting out a magazine. It, events are just content, right? It's all content. Every night, it's a different chapter. It's a different designer. It's a different, so it's a different piece of content. And you're delivering it in person. So instead of having your audience in print, you're, you're right in front of them. You're, hopefully, your advertisers are there too, your sponsors. So it's a much more intimate way to interact with our audience and to bring them into our other things that we do, whether it's um, our women who lead or um, uh, we, we do so many things or, you know, from top doctors and top lawyers, so, you know, a lot of service. So as much luxury as you find in a magazine, we also do a lot of service content. You know. Absolutely. And I think we should have a top weathercasters category. <laughs> I mean, we've got docs and we got... And co-hosts. And top co-hosts. You would certainly be on that list. <laughs> I'd be high on the list. Top <laughs> podcast co-hosts. <laughs> Me and one You other are person. number one. On, in, this, in, in, on this show. Uh, on podcast recorded at Little Bar with Patrick Evans. You are the... Absolutely. I can die. <laughs> <laughs> I can die. Now. We need to get him a plaque. So, so I, I know. We do. Yeah. It, it, well, and it would make him feel better. I'm just going to change my name to Reserved because it's always. <laughs> so um, we got just a few minutes. Sure. Tell us what's important coming up. What do you want to tell the community about Palm Springs Life, Desert X? There was a project that I wanted to do when, I'm, when, when I retire. And I talked to Frank Jones about it, the owner of Palm Springs Life, and he says, you need to do this now. <laughs> Don't wait. Don't wait. I think he knows I'm never going to retire. But, um, you know, the, the art story of this desert has not been told. Uh, it's to been told in little pieces back in the old original desert magazine back in the you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And the, look at the trajectory, though. I mean, so artists started coming to this valley, other than the indigenous people who made their own art, but settler art, <laughs> white people art. Invader art. <laughs> invader art. Really kind of came in the, in the, in the mid-1800s, and this trajectory of artists that have been coming to the desert ever since, the reason for it has not changed. It's the light. It's the light. And you look at the artists who are working out here today, you think of Philip K. Smith yep. as a perfect example, right? Um, yes. It's the light. You, all the artists that are moving out here, it's the light. Even if, whether they're doing landscape paintings, sculpture, whatever they're doing, the first thing they talk about is the light and the space. There is a, a desert, the Desert Art Center, mm -hmm. which I did not realize had been around for 74 years. That's right, yeah. Uh, they're doing a Terry Hastings exhibit. Sorry, Terry Masters. But Terry Masters, thank yeah. you. Yes, Terry Masters to open their season. October 7th is and, the opening. Yep. And uh, they brought in a couple of Terry's pieces, and he was renowned for how he used light. Yep. And it was remarkable. And sometimes artwork doesn't show up really great on television, but his pieces yeah. jumped even on the screen. It was, and I love what the Desert Art Center is doing. And, and, and yeah, I'm really glad they're celebrating his life because we lost him during the pandemic. That's right. And um, and uh, you know, it's it's time to really showcase that work. He he just created an, an, a brilliant body of landscape paintings of this desert, and uh, and it comes from a tradition of 
landscape painters that goes back 125 years, and he knew who these people were. He studied them. He appreciated them. And it's still going on today. These, these, there's a whole group of landscape painters out here still doing it. But it's not just the landscape. It's conceptual artists. It's artists like Armando Lerma and Carlos Ramirez and Chris Sanchez, who are in the East Valley, you know, mining their own heritage. And artists like Gerald Clark, who's, you know, showing us indigenous, giving us indigenous messages in a very contemporary way. Brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. These artists are unbelievable. And it's all coming from this place. So this book and documentary film that I'm working on is, um, it's about the desert as place and artists as its thoughtful interpreters. And I'm really excited about it. It's, uh, when can about, we see it? It's gonna, we're about a year and a half out. You know, we're, we're doing a lot of the documentary shooting right now. And uh, the writing is happening in lockstep. Uh, but the writing is going to be a lot more trenchant than the documentary film will be, obviously. Um, you know, I'll be dealing with a lot more of the historical stuff in the book. Uh, which we won't really do in the documentary film so much. So um, the products will be different. I hate even calling them products, <laughs> but um, you know, the stories will be a bit different. Um, but it'll come right up to today, and it's going to be really exciting, and it's going to help people talk about this place. Now, when I talk to people like Scott White at, the, at Visit Greater Palm Springs, and he says, you know, how do we talk about art and culture here? You know, how do we talk about it? You know, it's so big and, and disparate. And, and so I'm hoping that this is going to help. This is one of the things that's going to help. Well, it seems like a fantastic platform. Yeah, I'm excited I mean, about it, that. Yeah. I mean, utilizing both the written word and the documentary film. Which, by the way, when you get closer, we need to have you on Eye on the Desert to talk about it. Absolutely. I'd love to do well, that. Well, and back here, because it has been proven immediately following uh, these episodes, whatever people are working on just explodes. It just takes <laughs> off. Good. Absolutely. Good. That is very, very true. I know you're totally responsible for all the success that Todd Goldberg is having right now, and I, and I thank you for no, it. None of his other books. for us to say it. Yeah. None, of, none of his but other books you. were as well received <laughs> a, until he appeared on this podcast. That's right. And, uh, I keep I, telling him. He's woefully uh, Woeful. ungrateful about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Few people had heard of Bruce Fessier before he was here. Actually, Todd's going to be on Eye in the Desert on Friday, so okay. look forward to having him. <laughs> That'll really put him over the top, you know. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a little trip down memory lane. I mean, uh, you wow. know, that, was, that was fun, but it was really particularly interesting to take the deep dive into your interest in art and how it shaped the valley and, and find it, you know. Palm Springs life is an easy jumping off point. Yeah. But it was yeah. really fun to kind of explore the other things that you're you're very involved in. Well, few yeah. people took down Rush Limbaugh, so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I took him down, but I made a but, mark. <laughs> you, you certainly held his feet to the fire, <laughs> which, which is a, a good thing. Stephen, thank you. Thank you for thank what you, you guys. do for the community, what the magazine does, and what you're going to be doing in the future to raise the, uh, the art uh, exhibits and uh, impressions here in this desert. And we'll continue yeah. our discussions about the cover. Very good. <laughs> Looking forward to we'll it. be in touch. <laughs> Alright, ladies and gentlemen, our guest Stephen Biller from Palm Springs Life Magazine uh, and so much more. Uh, we appreciate your listenership uh, on behalf of John McMullen, our producer, and Randy Florence, my trusty co-host uh, and also sidekick as uh, dubbed and anointed by Skip Page. Hashtag. Hashtag. Sidekick. I'm Patrick Evans. Thanks for listening to Big Conversations, Little Bob. Thank you for joining us for Big Conversations, Little Bar with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Hear our entire library of episodes from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or most major podcast portals. This podcast is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System.